1: Talk about going out with a bang, and then another scandal hits a well-known evangelical Christian school. You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Wednesday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, so glad to have you with us on this cold Wednesday afternoon, we are back to wintertime. Did you enjoy spring for like the two days that we had? Although, ironically, it is about to turn warm again, but today is back to normal temperatures. How crazy was last night? That's where I want to start today. Uh, the hail, the rain, the temperature drop. That Where I live, there was tornado sirens. Um, my kids were down at church and at youth group, and then the tornado siren started going off. And, uh, so they quickly drove home that happened. That was a little bit crazy. And, uh, just one of those nights, the rain started again. I live in Downers Grove out in the, uh, Southwest suburbs and the rain started coming so hard for about a 20 minute period that it started coming into our garage and that kind of stuff. I was like, is this really happening in February? I heard that yesterday was the first time a tornado touched down in the Chicagoland area in February since at some point in the nineteen fifties uh crazy what is it el nino global warming I don't know what's going on, but it's it was all all in one yesterday, but I actually think it all happened yesterday for one very specific reason. we have one thing we have one person to thank for what we went through last night. And that's Tom Skilling. Tom Skilling, all of us love him. WGN News, uh, WGN Weather. Uh, he is a staple in the Chicagoland area. It's He's the go-to guy. All apologies to NBC and ABC and others. Tom Skilling for decades has been the go-to guy whenever there's a weather event. Well, Tom Skilling's last broadcast, I believe, was yesterday. And so to have that sort of weather event to send him out felt like it was orchestrated, right? It felt like, obviously we don't believe in other gods, but you know, you, you speak in those terms. It felt like the weather God said, you know what? We are going to give a gift to Tom skilling on his way out the door. Cause again, I'm guessing that when Tom skilling, uh, planned his retirement, when he set that date of February the 28th, he probably said to himself, uh, you know what? On my last day or two, hopefully we'll have a big snowstorm. Or hopefully uh, we'll have, um, you know, an Arctic cold. But to have... Uh, Tornadoes and huge weather events in February is just craziness. Now, to be accurate, I believe Tom Skilling's last broadcast is actually going to be uh, today, not yesterday. But again, in his last week, to be able to have that is just nuts. So tip of the cap to Tom Skilling, way to go out with a bang with a uh, weather event that he probably could only dream about. But uh, it got me thinking when the tornado sirens were going off last night in the middle of February, late February, it did get me thinking about the unknown, right? Like, I didn't wake up yesterday. We knew it was going to be warm, but you don't wake up going, you know what's going to happen at the on February the 27th? We're going to have some tornado sirens. We're going to have severe storms. We're going to have hail in some places that was approaching the size of a baseball. But that's how life works, isn't it? The unknown. Not everything can be planned for. Not everything can be expected. And it's kind of funny and fun when it's a weather event, as long as it doesn't do damage. But what about when the unknown of life just comes at you? What about when the unknown of, the unplanned, I should say, of Man, I had, I had all these dreams, I had all this, and then cancer, and then uh, debilitating disease, and then job loss, whatever else it is, when the unexpected, when the unknown comes our way, how do we navigate that? Because it's one thing to talk about weather or, you know, just circumstances that could be just, you know, out of our control. But what about when it's really difficult? When you had all the goals for your life, all your dreams, all your plans, when you had it all laid out before you, and then a giant, enormous curveball comes your way. It's in those moments, friends, that we hang on to our Heavenly Father, that we turn our eyes to our Savior, that we, we anchor our lives in the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. When the unknown comes, when the unplanned for comes, that's the move. We don't shake our fists at God and say, how dare you do this to me? But instead, we turn to Him and we uh, we ask for his peace that passes understanding. We hold on to his victory. We hold on to his presence uh, and we keep going and we endorse. So I thought about that last night as the hail was raging down as the tornado siren was going off. Man, just absolute craziness yesterday. But now we're just back to normal winter for a day or two. So uh, a, a day in the 30s today. Hope that you are enjoying it. I also saw this. I, I, I've hit the age where I'm too old to stay up for Saturday Night Live, but did you see this Saturday Night Live skit the other day? It, uh, As of Tuesday, the skit had amassed 1.7 million views on YouTube, and it got a lot of people talking uh, because Saturday Night Live did a skit that actually told the story of the death and the resurrection of Jesus and even featured a Bible verse leaving one cast member to wonder if this is the first time the popular sketch comedy show shared the gospel message. The four minutes get was titled church on vacation and aired, uh, uh, featured a family of four from Ohio, two parents and two children attending Catholic mass while on vacation in Jamaica, uh, the kids, this is why I bring this up, because this is, I'm not Catholic, but this is my story as a kid. This is many of us who grew up in the church as a kid. When you go on vacation and your parents are still like, hey, we're going to church. In this skit, they wake up at 6.30 in the morning uh and the father says... Uh, uh, the kid, one of the kids asked the father, did you have to drag us to church while we're on vacation? And the dad says, can't we? And he says, can't we skip one? And the father says, hey, we're Catholics. I don't care where we are on Sundays. We go to church. Church is church, no matter where you are in the world. And then the funniness of the skit is uh, the funniness of the skit is that uh they're in a Jamaican Catholic church, and it's very different from themselves. But in some ways, they even snuck the gospel message in, which was just wild to see. But I found that skit to be hilarious because we all that's that's the story of a lot of our childhoods. I remember growing up, we would uh, with another family, we'd go to North Carolina to the Outer Banks every summer. And we went to church every Sunday when we were there to this little church. And I remember as kids being like, can we just go to the beach? It's, It's vacation. But it was built within us as this, this kind of commitment to church, this kind of love for church. And it does remind you of the global nature of the church. That it's not just localized in your church, uh, but there's a global nature to it. So found that skit to be funny. Go find it uh at Saturday Night Live. Well, we like to laugh a lot on the show, and we also like to just try to talk about things that are going to encourage you and spur you on, but we also talk about uh the news of the day right we want to look at it and try to process it from a christian perspective a lot of times that is politics how do we process what's going on in the country how do we as christians and the church think about the upcoming presidential election, for example. And then we'll try to take certain issues, right? How do we as Christians think about immigration or gun control or abortion or the list goes on and on? And one of the things we've also tried to do on this show over the years is just be honest about the failures that happen all around us in the evangelical world and that impact the church and we try to process those together. Sometimes I wish that we didn't do that because it gets discouraging when it feels like week after week, month after month, you're talking about this pastor who had low character, this pastor uh, who did something shady, this church that's coming apart at the seams. And you just kind of wish that you could uh, put your head in the sand and go, oh, everything is fine. Um, But again, sadly, that is not the case and so we have to try to process that together and with that in mind uh, we had another one uh at one of the bigger christian colleges evangelical colleges uh, in the country this week their president had to resign that's calvin university up in grand rapids michigan uh their president uh, I don't know exactly how to say his name Weeb or weeby, w i e b e Weebe Boar resigns after a misconduct complaint. the report did not include allegations of sexually explicit communication or physical contact, but the alleged conduct is concerning and inappropriate the trustees said uh in a statement released on monday uh, The Calvin University Board of Trustees said it received a report alleging the president engaged in unwelcomed and inappropriate communication and attention toward a non-student member of the campus community. University officials said that when they hired an ex outside expert to review the allegations, that review included speaking with President Bohr, a former oil executive and son of Christian Reformed Church missionaries, who's only been the president since 2022. After being notified of the report, Dr. Bohr denied some of the allegations, but did admit to sending communications that were inappropriate and inconsistent. With the high standard of conduct and character expected of the president of Calvin University, Dr. Bohr subsequently offered his resignation, which the board accepted. No further details about Bohr's conduct or the complaint were given. Calvin's vice president of advancement, Gregory Elzinga, has been named interim president, uh, and they will continue to do a thorough search for the university's next permanent president. This goes on to talk about would uh, during his time has had to navigate some uh, very important conversations at Calvin about their stance on LGBTQ and what that will mean for for the school as part of the reformed denomination, as part of, um, you know, they've got some very high profile professors and faculty who who publicly disagreed with the stance, and so a lot going on at Calvin. But sadly, this president, who everything I'd heard from was doing a good job, once again it appears character issues came up again, and now they're looking for a new president. Friends, I don't know how many times we've to say this, and I'm not suggesting that they didn't do this at first, but this reminds us again uh, that character. Is the number one trait of a leader a leader without character, regardless of charisma, regardless of vision, regardless of uh, their ability to speak, their ability to plan, their five-year plan, their this, their that? Within the church, within Christian schools, within whatever, a a a leader without character should not lead. That is clear throughout the Bible, that the number one trait that we need in the leaders of our institutions, of our churches, of our organizations, uh, is a character. And, uh, because then, when it's not the case, you end up with situations like this. Again, I'm not suggesting that he's a bad guy. I've never met him, talked to him. I have no clue. But what I do know from these stories is it's another time where... Something was done, text messaging and messaging of some sort, that was inappropriate enough that it rose to the level of the board of trustees needing to break with him. And now Calvin is at a very important point in its school's history, is now searching for a replacement. They're again at a crossroads. Friends, we need to be reminded again and again and again and again. That character is what matters most. Character in our leaders is what matters most. And so many churches, so many institutions, they give lip service to character, but they go for other things. Charisma, vision. Uh, name, I I would rather, let's talk church, I would rather see a, a hundred-person church with a leadership of high character than a thousand-person church with leadership of questionable character, because questionable character ends up defaming the name of Jesus when it's done under under the umbrella of the church or of a Christian institution. It becomes a black eye to the gospel. And we are Christ's ambassadors. We are the representation of Jesus. The church is the representation of Jesus to the world around us. And so we must hold high the bar of character. And I do think that when the lack of character shows itself, It needs to be dealt with. Like, I guess I want to cheer Calvin on here for acting swiftly. But it grieves my heart that they had to act at all. Character matters. An organization led by a leader with bad character produces an organization full of people with bad character. When not dealt with. So uh, I guess what also this needs to do, whether you lead or you don't is to cause you to look in the mirror and go, am I a person of character? Am I a person of integrity? What does my life say to other people about Jesus? Man, I I look forward to the day when these stories don't keep happening, but man, it feels like they're happening more and more. I thought uh, we'd just spend some time Reading reading some tweets and some encouragement. These two tweets that I want to read are from uh, Dr. Tim Keller. So uh, you're probably sick of hearing about Tim Keller if you listen to this show. But I think of, of the past generation, of the past 20 years, there is not an author, pastor, theologian more worthy of being read and listened to uh, and influenced by, in my opinion, than Tim Keller. He's turned into a little bit of a lightning rod, especially on the ultra-conservative side of evangelicalism. Uh, and for me, that says more about the ultra-conservative side about even, of evangelicalism than it says about Tim Keller. I think Tim Keller did it right. Perfectly, no. But he lived with integrity uh, and he led well. One of my favorite things about Tim Keller, who passed away in 2023, one of my favorite things about Tim Keller is that he is a prolific author, a prolific author, but he didn't write his first book until he was in his 50s because he was busy pastoring. And I believe he was quoted as saying, I didn't think I had much to say. Think about how many people think they've got books in them in their 20s. And maybe you do. But Tim Keller, one of the most prolific authors of the last decade or two. Books like Reason for God and Counterfeit Gods and his book on marriage, his book on prayer. Didn't write his first book till he was in the 50s, I, in his 50s. I think that speaks to his humility and makes him worth listening to. So I want to read two tweets. Uh, like I said, he passed away this past year, but his son keeps running his Twitter account and posting things that his dad either wrote wrote or said, which is a beautiful thing because Tim Keller's wisdom continues even after uh, he has passed away. Here's the first one. Let's read two of them. Here's the first one. The gospel shows us a God far more holy than a legalist can bear and yet more merciful than a humanist can conceive. The gospel shows us a God far more holy than a legalist can bear and yet more merciful than a humanist can conceive. God is more holy. He is more just. He is more upright than even the the most legalistic, pharisaical, fundamentalist out there. God is holy. And sometimes when we could go way too far on the grace side and go, God doesn't care about sin. God God doesn't care about holiness. He cares so much about sin and about holiness that he sent his son to deal with it. He sent Jesus to bring about forgiveness of sin and redemption. God could have just wiped it away. and said, oh, don't worry. No. It's the whole point of the Old Testament sacrificial system that culminates in the death of Jesus Christ. God's far more holy. He's so holy that when we read in the Old Testament, when people come in contact with him, think about Moses going up onto the mountain. Think about when people come in contact with Jesus, like Peter or Paul. Think about when Moses... Uh, comes in contact with God at the burning bush. Think about when Isaiah is called up into heaven in Isaiah chapter 6. At every turn, they fear for their lives because God is holy, right, and just, and upright. And they are sinners. God's far more holy than a legalist can bear, and yet more merciful than a humanist can conceive. God's mercy is beyond comprehension. His grace, as the famous hymn says, is amazing. It's incomprehensible. And so that's the good news of the gospel, that God is holy and just, and at the same time is full of mercy and grace as shown, as seen in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we have to hold these in uh, uh, almost intention. We have to hold both of these. God is holy. God is just. God hates sin. We are called to be holy. We are called to follow after him. But yet God knows uh, God has done something about the sin. God has done something about uh, the lack of holiness. He has provided a way. He is merciful and full of grace. Both of these are true, and this is what makes the gospel good news. Now, a second tweet from Tim Keller. In the presence of light, you see darkness. In the presence of power, you see weakness. In the presence of God, you see your need for grace. This is getting at that same concept. Let me read it again. In the presence of light, you see the darkness. In the presence of power, you see weakness. In the presence of God, you see your need for grace. Let's hone in on the end of that. Because this is the same, basically the same premise of what that first tweet was. In the presence of a holy God. In the presence of an all-powerful, all-perfect, all-knowing, holy God, we realize our our, our own sinfulness. I brought up the examples in Scripture again, but let's bring them up again. When Isaiah is called up into the throne room of God in Isaiah chapter 6, and he gets a glimpse of God, just God's robe, right? He says, woe is me, I'm a sinner. When Peter, at the miraculous catch of fish, realizes that it is Jesus, it is the Savior, it's the Messiah in his presence. He says, away from me, for I'm a sinner. I'm a dead man. Moses, at the burning bush, realizes that it is God speaking to him, and he falls down, fearing for his life. In the the presence of a holy God, in the presence of a perfect God, we we become fully aware of our own sinfulness. But not only aware of our sinfulness, but are, are aware that we can't do anything about that that we are desperately in need of god's grace we are desperately in need of god's salvation of god's forgiveness in front of god's holiness in the presence of god we can't argue our case he is holy we are not he is without sin we are sinner and we are in need of grace what is grace it is his uh it is his gift it is his Uh, the giving of something that we do not deserve, but so desperately need. Reminds us of kind of the, how the gospel is summed up in the book of Romans for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, the free gift. Friends through those two tweets, I wanted to challenge us today. Are we aware of our own sinfulness? That in the presence of a holy God, we are, we are dead men and women. We are sinners. We are desperately in need of his grace. And then the good news of Easter, that grace has come. It has exploded into the world. The light has come into the darkness. Jesus Christ came and he lived and he died and he rose again, providing us that grace and forgiveness that we so desperately need. In the presence of God we're aware of our need for grace such good words they're from uh pastor Tim Keller i wonder it feels like as a country we should uh every couple years when it's leap year there should be something special about february the 29th like nobody works there's like a leap year parade or some sort of celebration Uh, Or maybe it's like, hey, every leap year, it's a day of service. We all go do something. But nobody works. They're off of school. Something like that for leap year. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? I don't know. Why is it just another day? But tomorrow is just another day. February the 29th. I also get all confused about those stories of people who get born on, on, on leap year on the 29th and then. I'm always they're always like, oh, we've only had four real birthdays or this. just, just celebrate on the 28th or the first. Just so I would say I would choose the first if it were me. If I were born on February 29th, I think I would celebrate on March the first. So tomorrow's leap year. Celebrate however it is that you celebrate. Well, uh, within the last couple years, one of the phenomenons in the Christian world is the chosen, right? Are you watching the chosen? Um, I always feel like this, I actually haven't watched a ton of it. I have watched some of it. Uh, but I feel this affinity towards the chosen in, for this weird reason, before it ever started Dallas Jenkins, when it was Ian uh, Simpkins and I doing this show, uh, doing the common good Dallas Jenkins, the creator of the chosen would come on our show every week for a season and he would just come on and we called it. I think we called it Media Mondays with Dallas Jenkins or something or other. And Dallas would come into studio. And I remember when he was in studio a couple of times and he told us about his next project. It was this thing kind of depicting the life of Christ and it was called The Chosen. And at that point, it had been the number one crowdfunded show, I think, of like all time or something weird like that. And I'd be like, oh, this is kind of cool. And so now that it's kind of exploded, not only. Are we not able to get Dallas on as easily anymore? But uh we also it's kind of fun to see that I don't know, I feel like we're at the front end of it and we're able to watch it grow. But it's a phenomenon that is in theaters now, right? Season four, I believe, uh is in theaters. It's on major platforms, but some interesting data came out the other day about who's watching it. So let me give you a little bit of background. I'm reading this over at Christian Headlines. It says this, roughly half of the viewers of the hit series, The Chosen, are not Christians, according to the new data that demonstrates the reach and impact of a show that had humble beginnings, but is now available on major platforms such as Netflix and Prime. The series launched in 2017 Uh, but grew into viral status during the 2020 pandemic and is currently in season four and in theaters. Episodes seven and eight will debut at the box office on Thursday. Eventually, all of season four will be available on the free Chosen app. Uh, Catherine Warnock, the vice president of original content with The Chosen, shared the details of the new survey. She said this. We recently had some data come through that showed about half of the viewers were either practicing Christians or cultural Christians, and then the other half were either curious about Christianity or had no Christian faith at all, and we were deeply surprised by that. The faith data wasn't the only surprising part of the survey. We were also surprised, she said, about the level of Gen Z and younger That we're consuming our show because our core audience is definitely millennial and older. But just to see not only the balance between female and males watching our show, which is wonderful uh, because the church is not that balanced at times, she said. And then to see the younger generation, but also the non-Christian faith audience uh, come to the table has been a joy. Dallas Jenkins said he and for he and his writing teams they have a goal of reaching every demographic. So it's kind of wild. Uh, Warnock confirmed that season five of The Chosen will spotlight Jesus's entrance into Jerusalem for Holy Week. Season six and season seven will include the crucifixion and the resurrection, respectively. Uh, so I don't know about Jew. I was really surprised by that survey. I would have bet that more than half of uh, of those people who watch The Chosen were older Christians, people who've been waiting for something like this, people who uh, maybe aren't watching uh, you know, regular TV, who don't like what's out there, people who are uh, very churched, I would have thought that that number was well above 50%. I would have guessed that number was 80%. But they have found that almost half of their audience are either nominal or not Christian at all. And I was trying to think about why that might be. One is I think it speaks that the good is sh- the, the show's good, it's a good product. Like Christian entertainment has the, has the, um, reputation in the past of just being cheesy or less than what was put out there by Hollywood, but Christians would watch it because it was Christian. I think this speaks to the fact that The Chosen is a good show. It's worth watching. And the the other thing I think it tells us is that people are worth giving things of Jesus a listen, an opportunity that maybe there's not as much anger and resistance out there as we often say. And this could fuel our evangelism. Like one thing I'm – the chosen isn't perfect. There are things that I'll quibble about from it. But what I love about it is it's giving an effort to reach people, to get the message of the gospel out there, to – to put Jesus out there for people who may never go to church and to do it with a little bit of creative license, but with the message essentially intact. There's been creativity. There's purpose in this. And I guess what I would like to say is that us as churches and as individuals, we need a similar desire for uh, or a willingness to be creative, we need a similar willingness to try to get out there and get the name of Jesus to people who may not know him and who will never go to church. Yeah, we want people to come to our churches, but the the message of the great commission was go, not stay and wait, but go and make disciples go.' into the, where, you know, your places of where you live, work, and play. Take the name of Jesus into those places. So fascinating data there uh, about um, about the chosen. And if you're not one who watched it, I haven't watched it in a long time, so reading this makes me go, right, I'd like to start watching that again. Give it a try. All right, I thought it would be nice to end today's show um, with just a devotional. This was a devotional Uh, by Pastor Chuck Swindoll at insight.org. You can sign up and receive Chuck Swindoll's daily devotional uh, at insight for today at insight.org. But I wanted to read this one, and that's how we're going to close. I'm going to I'm going to read it and then uh, just kind of give you some thoughts about it. All right. This is called Humble Yourself Now. He begins with Job chapter 42, uh, verses 5 through 6. I had only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes and show my repentance. Chuck Swindoll writes, take notice, special notice of Job's words. He does not reply, I've got an argument here. On the contrary, he says, I retract and repent. There's no divine force. There's no threatening rebuke from God. Job, if you don't get down on your knees and beg for mercy from me, I'm going to finish you off. No. In gentle, resigned submission, Job rests his case in the Father's will. He says, you instruct me, and as a result of your instruction, I will willingly submit and accept it. Do you know what I love about Job's attitude? There's an absence of talk about my rights. There's not a hint of personal entitlement. There is no expectation or demand. There's not even a plea for God to understand or to defend him before his argumentative friends. Furthermore, there's no self-pity, no moody, depressed spirit. He's completely at rest. His innermost being at last is at peace. You may say, well, if God had blessed me as he blessed Job, I'd say that too. Wait, Swindoll writes, he hasn't yet brought relief or reward. The man is still covered with boils. He still doesn't have any family. He's still homeless. He's still bankrupt with nothing external change. Job says quietly, Lord, I'm yours. Focus on the timing. Humble yourself, not after he exalts you. But humble yourself now. Don't wait. Pull back, stop arguing, and rest in him. It is remarkable how he will quiet your spirit and transport you to a realm of contentment you've never known before, even with most of the answers missing. The philosophers of this world demand answers. The believer who has now learned through this kind of cataclysmic experience to trust regardless demands nothing. And the worries slowly fade away one after the other. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. James chapter four, verse 10. What a great word. From Chuck Swindoll, you think about it. I think the most powerful part of what he wrote there is the book of Job. He's kind of going through it. And we know the end of the Job story. So sometimes you can read the ending into the beginning and the middle. What do I mean by that? Well, sometimes when Job is sitting there and his kids have died and he's covered in boils and he's every lost everything and his wife is telling him to curse God and die. Sometimes when we read that we go, yeah, but it's going to end up well. But Swindoll points out, Job had no idea that that was the case. He didn't know that this was going to turn in his favor. He didn't know. For all he knew, this cataclysmic hardship that he was facing, much worse than any of us have ever faced. This cataclysmic hardship for all that Job knew in the moment. That was the rest of his life. That was his lot in life. The same way we don't know the end of our stories, Job didn't know what was coming. And so we can't use that, oh, it's going to be okay for Job, as the reason that Job was able to keep his faith, to repent, to say, I trust you, God. When he said that, he didn't know the ending but yet he still trusted. He still knew that the God who was his God, when things were good was still his God. Now, when things were awful, that that God could still be trusted. And uh, here's what it gets me thinking. Do you believe that God can be trusted in the bad times? Do you believe that God can be trusted when things are uh, running off the rails? Is God only good when your circumstances are good? Does that make sense? Can God only be trusted when you're happy? Or does the goodness of God And our faithfulness to him, our trust in him, transcend our circumstances. That's the message or one of the messages there from the book of Job. God is good. God can be trusted. We humble ourselves before him, and it is not dependent on our circumstances. That's what we get from Job, right? That's what we get from Paul in the book of Philippians. That's what we get. I love the line when Peter says to Jesus, when Jesus says, are you guys going to go? And Peter says, where are we going to go? When things are bad, that's that's our posture. Where else am I going to go? And we take the posture of Job. That says, I sit here. I wish my circumstances were different. I'm going to continue to pray that they're different. I'm going to pray for healing. I'm going to pray for restoration. I'm going to pray that things turn around. But whether they do or not, I'm going to come and humble myself myself before the Lord and acknowledge that he is in control and he is good and he can be trusted. If you're facing difficulties today, know that God's goodness is not dependent on your circumstances. You can trust him and you can turn to him. Great words there from Chuck Swindoll. Well, I'm glad that you joined us today. Try to stay warm tonight. It's another cold day here in February. I said, going to warm up soon, but hopefully you're able to stay in, stay warm tonight, and join us again tomorrow from 4 until 6 p.m. My name is Brian Fromm, and you've been listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160,
0: Hope for Your Life.